Hi. Naga Siren. Naga Siren is real. Uh, Earth Spirit is real. It's real. You know that one. Um, uh, Moth Man. (laughs) No. So welcome to Every Game in the City, a podcast about eight game makers, curators, and researchers meeting up in Shanghai for a week to try and watch every game at the International Dota 2 Championships. I'm William Parton. I'm Alexandra Lee. I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm Peter Nilsson. I'm Lee Shanglun. I'm Stephanie Bullock. I'm Yang Jin. And this week, we took an unexpected detour to a police station, haggled for tickets on the street, and finally got to the Mercedes-Benz Arena where we saw our first Dota 2 matches together. After we debrief, we're going to be chatting with Greg Laird, CEO of Chaos Esports Club, and our first special guest. big cast ahead of us. It's really exciting. <laughs> Just to clarify, we our unexpected detour was we didn't get arrested. No, no, no. Yeah. And it wasn't really that unexpected. unexpected. Right. So, but, I, but I did play it up on Instagram. <laughs> so it was neither unexpected nor a detour? It was just a necessary trip. My favorite part were the people who set up the opportunistic photocopy oh, business. Oh, no good. Well, okay, why, so wait, why, was there why were we yeah. at the police yeah. department in the first place? There's a rule in China, right? Um, basically, all foreigners have to register yourselves um, wherever you're staying within 24 hours of landing in the country. Um, so because we're staying in an Airbnb, we need to do that ourselves, whereas well, we a hotel would ass- normally do it for you. We assumed, well, I assumed that the Airbnb hosts would do that with the documents you provide on Airbnb, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe they just don't do it. I really hope my previous Airbnb host did that. (laughs) Otherwise, I might be uh, kind of... You're over your 24-hour limit. So when we were there, we had to... We can delete that part. (laughs) (laughs) When we were at the police station, we had to submit our passports and then photocopy them. And there was an opportunistic photocopying business across the road. Which set up because the police office shut down their photocopying facilities. So it's, yeah, so they outsourced it. So and it's so minimalist. It That's was an, um, an umbrella <laughs> with a photocopier under it. And, and Red Bull. And Red Bull. Red Bull. And they saw Red Bull and they were, I guess, just doing stuff on their phones, trying to stay out of the sun all day, with a pretty steady stream of people needing copies made. There's also something kind of unsettling, though, about handing over your your precious identity documents to to somebody who's running like a scanner in a shack it wasn't even a shack it's like a power cord coming down from an apartment window above it across the street from the police department onto like an ikea desk with like a a inkjet printer with a with a flatbed scanner on top of it just cranking through people's personal documents but definitely if you haven't given up on this idea of identity and privacy. <laughs> it's 2009, baby, get with your time. 2009. <laughs> <laughs> with, 
<laughs> Ten years. That would have been really ago. good. Yeah. Time does pass when you're watching Dune. <laughs> Ten years later. Ten years later, we're still here. At um, any rate, we were successful. We are we now did. registered in the eyes right. of the state. And luckily, the police department... It, it wasn't like a police department with like, uh, um, like a jail or like people in handcuffs. No. It wasn't like Law & Order. It was like a... More like the DMV. It was yeah. like a local municipal building uh, that was like really spick and span and kind mm-hmm. of modern. And we just like there took a, f- a ticket and st- stood in line. And Young Jing helped us talk to the officers. There were forms oh, near yeah. the entrances as well. Just yeah. various things you could fill out. And you picked the one about organizing a protest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, this is what you fill out. At so. one point, I thought there are so many of us and you were reading that one specifically. Oh, so. yeah. We're going to start no. protesting in front of our municipal no, building. I picked it out randomly. But you could if you filled out the form. Yeah. Although it you tells you exactly. You have to Chinese to do it. I yes. love that it was like this weathered ancient notepad with copies of the form on it. Yeah. That you and tore we, off the We sheet took one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, the officer asked, why are you here? Mm-hmm. I said to watch a game, and she knows the game. Oh, she knew? <laughs> yeah, she said, my fucking son is playing it all day. So far, we've realized that the working women of Shanghai, all of their kids, Are they playing. refer to me in that no, exact no. sentence. <laughs> <laughs> she put the adjective on the son. It wasn't, my son plays this adjective game. It was, my adjective son plays this game. Yeah. <laughs> the game at all. The hatred is towards the own. <laughs> Chinese fail sons unite. A lot of people have, a lot of Chinese folks living here have said, uh, I hate you. Or like, I can't believe you got, we weren't able to get these tickets. Or my son wanted these tickets. Or like comments that we've gotten at restaurants and things. Uh, Stephanie, Alexandra, and I went to get water and met a person randomly on the street who we asked for directions in Chinese, and he just kind of responded in perfect English. Uh, and then later found out we were going to Dota. He's been messaging me asking for tickets. Yeah. And- <laughs> so, yeah, which leads us to the yes. next bit, uh, which is about tickets. <laughs> we could sell them. Yeah. We could sell them. Stay tuned, because maybe we will sell them. So, so yeah, the listeners, does anybody want to buy it? <laughs> oh my God. One year after the yeah. 2009 <laughs> travelers, are <laughs> <laughs> like weathered hole punch tickets just get put up on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's probably a good transition into um, actually when we get to the arena, we are I think two tickets short for everybody we need, which yeah. means we have to go on a little uh, kind of adventure to figure out how yeah. are we going to do this. Yeah. Which was wild because as soon as we stepped off the subway, the woman, woman with the umbrella was just like, hey, I have this ticket. And she was just holding a Dota ticket. <laughs> yeah, it was very surreal. <laughs> but where on earth are we going to find a spare ticket? Oh, oh. <laughs> everywhere. Like a crowd of folks under the shady spot. And it wasn't that hot out, which was no. nice. It's just uh, opposite yeah. to the arena. Yep. Maybe 30 or so people? Yeah, just 30? kind of milling on phones. And all offering tickets. I mean, it was chaos. Was it? Was it? But it was like organized chaos. chaos. Yeah. 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 There was definitely like a hierarchy there that I wasn't understanding. So we weren't getting mobbed, but we were getting sort of addressed like Not really. one-on-one. They are polite mm-hmm. to you, to us, but also to their competitors. Right. It seems like almost an established business. Uh, an industry that yeah. we just didn't quite understand. Mm-hmm. We were skeptical as to who was competing how much competition there actually was or whether this represented one large person with a number of people selling from the same stash of tickets, no? 
Mm. Yeah, it wasn't clear. Um, I I myself didn't see the brick of tickets that supposedly mm. was in a duffel bag, but other people what? told me that there was just a brick of Dimei tickets that were getting peeled off uh, for all the different sellers. So okay. they would they would find a deal. Some middle person would go get the ticket, give it to them. Okay. It seemed like that was going on. Apparently, I don't know, Young Jing, um, you. There's been stories that Damai itself is selling directly to these sculptors, like organizing a cut which has been set aside mm. just for that reason. So Damai is the organization that was contracted to sell the tickets. Correct. And they by Mercedes Benz. Mercedes Benz was uh, contracted by Valve, mm. and yeah. Damai is the ticket vendor that they use. Okay, so that'll become important later as we see the kind of. Uh, rhetoric around Damai and the workers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But my, yeah, my assumption was that, like, you know, most most places in the world where there are kind of grey or black economies like this, the um, mechanics of it, usually the people you're interfacing with are not the people who, who bought this stuff. You know, they're working a job just like you go and you work yeah. your job. Um, and that was, that was just the atmosphere I felt, that it didn't, as Young Jing said, everybody was sort of quite... Mm-hmm. Um, polite to one another mm-hmm. and I just got the feeling everybody was working for a day mm-hmm. um, rather than being s- super financially committed that like I personally bought these tickets and if I don't sell them then I'm you know I, I make a complete yeah. loss I got the sense right. of like my family this needs was, this money like, no, yeah this, this was like a, t- a ticket outlet <laughs> of, right. of its own yeah this was an industry this, yeah this was it a, seemed this was a business and it seemed as if uh I mean, it, it, it did seem as if everything was centralized yeah. in some way. They're always there, Dada or not. And Dada, like eSports, is very new. Mostly it's pop music concert. Mm-hmm. But yeah. this is still very difficult for us to get. And they said, is it really that great? Because it's already opened. Mm-hmm. And people are still trying to buy it at a very high price. Mm-hmm. So maybe they, uh, it's quite a unique event in that way. Yeah. It's not like a concert. Yeah, I'd actually be really curious to know from the ticket resellers if there are unique challenges to (laughs) to selling Dota esports tickets because it isn't like a pop concert, right? Where it's one, you know, it's only Mm. one night for only a couple hours. Like we're, I mean, we'll talk later about the the issues surrounding the arena and these like all day events, but like even just the 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 strange gray market economy around the resellers. What are their weird? challenges that they have to and more, definitely more foreigners to buy it like you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect some of you to be here to t- hear a Taiwanese pop singer sing oh like if Jay Chow were yeah. performing that's the most difficult ticket to get and also you have to they have to follow the match because yeah. the price would drop and rise they have to know the match they have to know the matches. Yeah. 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 yeah oh yeah so when we go back today I'm very excited because they said you know, if you don't care about this first day, just come back tomorrow because no Chinese teams are playing, so the tickets are going to drop. The sculptor said this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Very, very nice. Yeah. And- <laughs> Do you follow her? Are you your WeChat friends now, yeah, right? she gave me her card. Yeah. She had a card? Yeah. What is she say? really is a pro. Okay. Her story is that she collects free tickets from people who have free tickets. Oh. So she has a different supply. She, t- yeah. she takes a yeah. cut. Yeah. Where so- do the free tickets come from? Apparently, um, this is not just for things like the international, but it's Local. all yeah all over. Things where um, different companies will try to win over their clients by sending them free VIP tickets to a lot mm. of events. So whether that's concerts, baseball games, 
whatever it's they just mm. get free tickets for whatever anything that they're not even interested in mm. um so i imagine that a lot of those mm. tickets would be those free tickets i wonder if that explains the fact that the vip sections despite being highly sought after were empty mm-hmm. inside of the arena oh, okay. I have another question. Yeah. Why is it always ticket to level five and two? What happened to one, three, four? <laughs> Good question. Four's yeah. unlucky, so it doesn't even exist. I feel like maybe we'll get into the kind of five-two split when we like get into the arena itself, because I think it just had to do with like exit entry strategies and negotiating how the population left and entered it. But I wanted to ask one other question, which was: It seemed like all the uh, ticket resellers we were like haggling with were all women. Yes. Just like women in sunglasses. Well, the ones we were, it was, it was, I think I, I took notes on this because mm-hmm. the actual kind of throng of people, I think was about like Majority 85, men. 90% yeah. like men in their twenties and maybe early thirties at the most. But our negotiations but, were with 100% women. Like in middle-aged women. No, yeah. I was negotiating with men primarily. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting was almost always they would then go to the women to get the tickets. To get yeah. The tickets. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the women seemed to be in charge. Yeah. Is that mm. what was going on, Miss? Yeah, Chinese feminism. Mm. Wait, r- really? Like, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> kind of into it. <laughs> um, super interesting. So uh, alongside this kind of... It, it was funny. Uh, there were two sides of the street next to the stadium. And on one side was this kind of throng of resellers. On the other side was a tall man in a white t-shirt who waved to me yeah. from across the road wearing sunglasses and it was in fact in the flesh Trevor Brandon Presley yeah, yeah. yeah. we met him he's real he's I think real. we saw Moonrock walked up to him he went you exist yeah that was the first thing I said no, no that was after we left I remember um, Trevor Brandon Presley I was just walking away and Shang Lun said he's real he's real and he, he was still within ears <laughs> and he turned around and went I am real <laughs> <laughs> and then just kept walking thank you for the compliment yeah that's so funny so, so Trevor Brandon Presley the story turned out to be uh, completely true <laughs> that he just accidentally bought three tickets and wanted them to go to true Dota fans which that wasn't his words, but it was basically well, along the lines of what we were me. talking about <laughs> yesterday. And so it's funny because um, Trevor Brandon Presley this is very in the know about this whole event. And so we've been um, WeChatting. Uh, kind of, this is a story of a lot of these encounters. We like mm-hmm. get there, we connect on WeChat and start to have a conversation. More, mostly like DMs. It's not like Twitter or something where you add them and it's part of the general feed. It's just you add all these individual contacts and have conversations, and so... We're starting to uh, build up quite a network of people. It, it yeah. seems like it, both a foreigner network and a local one. Yeah. Um, I bumped into some Melbourne folk. There was a streamer, a streamer. from Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like we interviewed him very briefly. What um, was his name again? Like the King of... The King of King Chestnuts? King of Gargonauts. <laughs> That's and actually a nuts. Dota hero. Yeah. Uh, King of Chestnuts. It is not. Yeah. No, it's yeah. not. No. He's like a squirrel, like a big one. <laughs> no. he's, the, he's the king so. <laughs> king of chestnuts is closest okay so you should have said coconuts maybe if you had said king of coconuts i would have been like maybe yeah. <laughs> we're playing this ongoing coconut king would be the more kind of yeah true, 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 true. we're playing this ongoing game where because many of us don't know the dota heroes and the ones who do are trying to convince us of fake dota heroes or trying to get us to say that a real dota hero is fake right and so far we have not been fooled once i think i always you give it up I, I start to smile. 
yeah, it's your delivery. King of Chestnuts. Because one of the things that's going to happen this week, not, not jumping again too much, but they're going to announce some new heroes. So imagining what they could be is fun. King of Chestnuts. I think so. That's a shot. <laughs> so what was the one you wanted? Spinach Fiend. <laughs> <laughs> So this guy from Melbourne um, was saying, you know, it's really exciting being here and he's here for the spectacle. It's not just mm-hmm. to watch good Dota, mm-hmm. it's to see the crowd and have the energy invigorate him. Mm-hmm. I truly do hope there's a Chinese team in the grand finals because I want to hear the crowd, you know, losing their minds. Right, okay, so you're interested yeah. in, like, the spectacle of it, not yeah. just the games. Um, and that was pretty common across the board. Yeah, and he also um, sort of made a show that he had been, and even, as much as he was here for the spectacle, he also mentioned that he'd been playing Dota since like the early 2000s, like mm. the actual Warcraft 3 era, uh, and knew some of the, the names of, of the game before it was even called Dota in the first place. In Aeon of Strife, we didn't even have items. It was just a hero and you went down a lane. Um, you would upgrade the creeps, that's what you'd spend your money on. Um, then we went to Tides of Blood, which was like Tides of Blood's where they started adding items and they thought, oh, maybe we'll actually make the heroes a little fair and balanced. Right, right. So, like, it was just a little bizarre journey. Even pre-All-Stars, the original version of Magnus had Rikimaru invisibility, which is, you know, the heroes were usually merged versions of what they are now split apart. Yeah. So it's just really interesting to see how they yeah. changed the game over the years. Wild. Yeah, you had a really good conversation with him about that. But this was all, like, outside the stadium. Yeah. We hadn't even entered. We hadn't even right. started to watch Dota at this so point. So we've now got our tickets from Sculptors yeah. and from uh, the elusive but real... Trevor Brandon Presley. And we're registered with the police so we can stay here in this country. Mm-hmm. And so we're ready. All our ducks are in All a row. All our ducks are in a row. And, I mean, importantly, it wasn't actually clear to me until this very moment that this trip would even work, right? Like, we weren't sure if, like, these types of tickets would get us in. We weren't sure if we'd have enough tickets for everybody. So being able to hold uh, seven tickets in our hand, because uh, our final cast member hasn't joined us yet, mm. uh, was just, sort of, like, a wave of relief uh, passed over me as we, like, actually entered the stadium. Like, oh, mm-hmm. everything's going to be okay. It's like that feeling of finally getting to your hotel in a new country you're visiting, and it's like, oh, I can just, like, everything's going to be all right. I can finally take my pants off. And yeah, just relax. Just uh, ice, 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 ice style. Just in my boxer shorts. <laughs> ice, ice, ice is a Dota player. It's true. <laughs> he actually, in the past, international took his pants off apparently and played in his boxers occasionally. I mean, when you have millions of dollars on the line, you do what you got to do. It. Yeah, you get comfortable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny because like it's not like um, soccer where there's probably a rule about mm, wearing... taking your pants off. Maybe not. You probably shouldn't be naked. Well, yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> what are, what's you the anyway? It doesn't, anyway. Affect, it doesn't affect your Dota playing. <laughs> or maybe it affects it positively. Oh, I, the, I think it affects the crowd watching you. <laughs> well, you're in a booth. Like, it's like being a newsreader. They're only filming you from the waist up. <laughs> right. So what are next? How do we get into the arena? So actually, yeah, we can, we can pivot to that. So action. Okay. So the arena, the Mercedes-Benz Arena in the actual arts district of Shanghai, it sort of looks like a oblong flying saucer on the top of a hill. Um, yeah. it's, it's reasonably futuristic. It's maybe like a 1980s idea of what the 2020s would be like. And inside, um, you know, so is Dota. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> 2020. Yeah. That's next year. I mean, it'll be. Uh, it'll be uh, it will exist next year, so it is. What, yeah. what it looks like. It's 2009, baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so the arena is split very like strongly between sort of a bottom level and a top level. And we knew there would be, you know, differences in like what you can see, you know, what your actual access to like different things in the arena are visually. Um, but we didn't realize that this sort of like class distinction would play out in other ways as well. So Stephanie, Patrick and I were in our sort of luxurious um, sort of like our, our seaside suite. Yeah. So like we enter the stadium, we go through security and enter the stadium and there's a little like ring kind of a vestibule around the whole thing where yeah. food is and stuff like that and maybe some swag uh, so three of us who had played and watched a lot of Dota like went to the oh. lower part of the stadium yeah. and like tucked in and I was like in a row of full Chinese fans and we were all rooting for LGD and it was like felt very uh, again it was like a relief I think I like shed a, a single tear of like oh I'm home. And like, you got to do the thing. Like, you were Dota. Yeah, I was just, like, yeah, watching some Dota with, with, like, this this group. We're yelling together. Um, but we sent the four people who had never played Dota or <laughs> watched it. We just, like, we just, like, handed them a recorder and be like, good luck. See ya. Like, bye. And they just, like, went through security and we never saw them again. So, like, I'm just curious. Ever. We're, we're the clones. <laughs> we, like, what, what, can you tell us a little bit about, like, your first moment, like, you find your seats, you sit down, maybe they're not all together, mm. but you like sit down, like, can you explain a little bit for, cause some of our listeners won't have ever, they'll Thank be in your you same are. situation. Uh, they might be coming from the last season where it was about escape rooms. Maybe they know a lot about escape rooms, but they don't know this game. Can you like describe what it's like as a new person to this thing, to this experience? What happened in that? Um, I'm just really curious. Just like in season one, we recorded audio diaries of our experience watching the games. So let's tune in to Shang Lun's first recording. Okay, here we go. We are now entering the main stadium. Oh boy. It's huge. It's very purple. Purple. What is going on? <laughs> okay. Okay, this is bonkers. So, okay, hang on, let me first assess what's going on. We're in a room packed with people. There's purple lights everywhere. The main stage, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this. Okay, there are people down there on the left. I think they're commentators, maybe? And then there's also this main, like, uh, five versus five with character portraits. And I assume that that's where the gamers actually are inside these booths. Yeah, you can kind of just see their screens in this perspective. Uh, and then up on top is the actual game happening. But I don't know how they choose what point of view is being watched. Uh, it is mirrored on every screen, so each of the four uh, sides have access to the same imagery. Then there's even more bonkers stuff going on. Uh, th that section of the stage leads to this hexagon, which looks like it has a pedestal of mass destruction or something, like, like a lever that will end humanity. Uh, and then all around the stadium there's also a strip of advertising, but it's kind of like not really advertising, it's just showing art, like flowers from the game, I assume. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. The listener can imagine that, you know, uh, four normal people walk up to the fifth floor and within five minutes we've all got long beards, our clothes are ragged, <laughs> and we're sort of huddled together in the corner shaking, I'm confused, we've lost our passports, <laughs> shang has got one shoe on, um, and we're boiling our underpants in a pot. It was something like that. Yeah, and in the pot you can see the match. 
on water. <laughs> 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 so yeah. boils underwear yeah. water. That's yeah. the Valvin- perfection of the match. Valve announces boiled underpants fiend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He immediately ages you via just an injection of donut right into your eyeball. <laughs> so this is a this is really interesting because at least last season it took us a few days to like hit the wall, but oh, like no. the wall, <laughs> the wall. I just you I hit the wall. Off a cliff. <laughs> you start with the wall. You start by just running into the wall. Yeah. So for for me, it's like the total opposite of that because I think um, with the escape room thing. It's something that's designed for literally anyone to understand mm. within the mm. 45 minutes to an hour allotted for you. Whereas this one, it's like no mm. one is expected to understand how this game works in 45 minutes to an hour, um, much less actually go to the international having never <laughs> seen a match. So it was a totally, totally different experience, I think. Mm. Um, whereas Escape Room's extremely, extremely low learning curve, mm. whereas this one is yes. like very very steep learning curve you have to actually understand the game and we're just barely scraping the surface of that so how did it feel to watch the first match once you got in it was utterly confusing like yeah. We, yeah. we had the recorder and we were like we have no idea what to be talking about like what is this we Who said is some this dumb person? stuff yeah <laughs> like what like, oh. roll that footage roll that beautiful bean footage <laughs> I guess the other team's pretty much gone, I guess. I just can't tell who's on what team. Me neither. Like, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm looking at right now. You're right, a lot of glowing stuff. Right? Like, that's the only impression that I have of it. People walking around a lot in, in rows and glowing stuff. I, I want to know what that, you know, that black, yeah. the black, it, like, scorched earth thing. Oh, the camera's definitely... Oh! Yeah, they're just trying to follow the action, I guess. All the players coming out of their little cages. My biggest question is where to look. Yeah. Like, there's a screen and there's a cage that the players are in. <laughs> and, and I was also... Cage to you. Glass cage. Trapped like rats. Like a pillbox. And I was wondering, so there are four screens and I can see two of them. They are identical, but I was yeah. wondering if the other side is seeing the opposite. Right, I yeah, know, like yeah, whose yeah. perspective am I watching yeah. is a question. Yeah. And what am I looking at? Because Chunglin, you mentioned like, is this map like procedural or like, oh yeah, like, is what's going on here? So, okay. When it like also, jumps around. I should also note that Yang Jing, Alexandra, and Peter managed to get the three seats in a Together, row. Together, yeah. Um, but there was no space for me. So <laughs> even amongst the unknown, like, we don't know anything about Dota, but I then had to go by myself alone to the corner. <laughs> 
no one to cling on to. We went Three boiling. of us are in one corner of a pot, and you're just like in your own little yeah, pot. We went boiling your underpants. You had to look after yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were on the. You went to the last one. You was pretty much Dota. I I was um, huddled with my phone and just taking notes about everything I was noticing, and mm -hmm. the thing I kept saying was, "I'm just so overwhelmed. <laughs> I don't understand." Right. Let's try to commentate. Big spells are occurring. Um, uh, characters. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's figure this out. The other thing I don't know what to look to is that even on the screen, so you have the battlefield, yeah. and then you have a camera to the player, mm -hmm. and then the character, mm -hmm. and it's constantly switching. There must be a DJ or something like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so the, the way that this works is that uh, each commentator has an observer, or maybe they're all using the same observer for this event, um, but the observer is a non-competing uh, player, you could say, that controls vision for everybody to comment on. So they have they have a unique view perspective into the game in the sense that they can see both teams' actions, mm -hmm. whereas the observer can kind of see the whole game and uh, is placing the camera in such a way that the commentators can say interesting things about what's going on. Um, yeah, that just reminded me. Um, <laughs> um, we, we, all four of us, we had no idea about how the cameras work or the observer or anything. So the things that were going through my head were like, is this what every player sees? If you're not on the map, it's just like bad luck for you. You just had to like walk around the blind. And then, so oh my gosh, like, playing Dota, but just looking at the observer camera. That's another game. Yeah. <laughs> so your monitor's oh turned God. off, but you can see a stream of the yeah. game. That, and and then I, I thought like, that's, that's surely not possible, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then I was thinking like, um, thinking because I didn't realize at the time that vision was a thing and mm. you you can only see around a small area around yeah. yourself. Mm -hmm. So I would just be seeing people hiding hiding in plain sight. And then <laughs> and people just like walk in the enemy was just walking past them. I was like, they're right there, why don't you attack them? <laughs> <laughs> He's behind the trees. Yeah. He's standing exactly. in the middle like of the field. <laughs> like surely you're not that bad. You're a pro and you've got <laughs> I can see it. You're holding up a giant sign behind the tree. Oh my god. Another one, like, I, because we walked in kind of in the middle of the game, and I asked someone behind us, no, I, I went to join you, and I asked the yes, guy did. Thank with you. his wife, I said, so who's who on the map? And he said, the above are them, uh, the above are they, uh -huh. like the bottom are us. And I said, oh, and then it switched. <laughs> and his wife was looking at me like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it was a, a... What do you think the, the gender breakdown of the crowd was? I was going to guess like... More men. 90% men, 10% girlfriends. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seemed just from looking around the space, like if you looked at your section and did a little head count, it was maybe more than 90%. So I informally have a photo gallery of women's bathrooms of eSports that I've yeah. been building. And honestly, I'd actually say that compared to when we were, when we went, when Patrick and I went to TI4, it was just the, the women's bathrooms were, were an empty desert. 
<laughs> crickets. You could just spread out in there and boil some underwear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I could set up an entire camp in there. That's um, weird. Yeah, but but in this case, I would say that actually there were uh, a significantly higher percentage of women in mm. the audience overall, and mm, thus mm. there were you know one or two women in the bathroom pretty consistently, rather than just like absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then compared to the you know at the end of each match, I I, I got to get those photos of like men waiting in line and then women just. Confidently striding forth, (laughs) smiling from the bathroom because it's still relatively empty comparatively, but but by far using the bathroom index, uh, there are much more than I would say the North American audiences that I've seen. So I was speaking to a friend of mine who works for League of Legends, so slightly different, but um, she was telling me how actually in China in particular, there are a lot more female fans um, of watching the esports. Um, just because the athletes are kind of like the equivalent of K-pop idols. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of women and young teenage girls really, really idolize these people. Mm, there's like a difference of a cult of personality involved yeah. in, in physical sports. Which was very much how sort of like Korean esports in the 2000s, which yeah. kind of started out this industry, was very much that kind of like pop idol aesthetic. Mm. So when Ice 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 takes his pants off, oh. it's fan service. <laughs> it all comes back to underpants. <laughs> um, yeah, I made the kind of obnoxious comment and say, "Oh, it's ten percent girlfriends," because there were a lot of women attached to the uh, men, and who I, I've interviewed them had never watched Dota. You're kind of in the same position no. as we were in. Um, so you're the girlfriend. I'm the girlfriend yeah. of the group, absolutely. But I, 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 say, I say this with respect to the demographics there, um, not in any way kind of saying this is how it should be. That's also not even true. There were a lot of um, women there who were Dota, huge Dota fans. Mm. Dota commentators were, there were a lot of Chinese um, female commentators. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of the women that I talked to, including the one who was reading for the Chinese teams, mm. um, were kind of almost doing like more um, they were pushing the game and doing a bit of um, evangelism, almost. In terms of age demographics, very young. Mm-hmm. There was that many. Mostly. I didn't. I'd say the, the average age looked about twenty-five to forty, actually. Okay. Some of us look young. So, like, kind of like that. The <laughs> <laughs> whereas, whereas some of us don't. <laughs> Thanks. Peter just has boiled underwear on his head and a long beard. <laughs> never, never specifies. <laughs> oh my gosh, we threw you to the wolves. I think it's so. <laughs> so but Peter's one of the few who did both, because after the first match, we Peter and I switched yes. places, which required a little bit of like a, a kind of dance of, I'll meet you outside, and we'll get. So you had to get a wristband and a. Black light stamp. Yeah. And then we switch tickets, and then they check your wristband and black light. Well, they never check the black light stamp, but they check your wristband and punch your ticket. So I punched Peter's ticket and Peter punched mine to get in each other's seats. And you can do this up to three times before they won't let you in again. Because yeah, they really punch the ticket. Strong, like they really make make a distinction. Like you cannot move between the different levels. If yeah. you're level five or level two, you no staircases. There's no staircases. No, no elevators. No, no escalators. Yeah, I, I used, was shocked when I got down to the second floor. I first of all I used the free healthcare that you guys have down there. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I ate some food and <laughs> wow. because we had there were 
to stop making stupid jokes. There were food stalls on the 5th, but they'd all sold out of food. They all sold um, out, like, by instantly. like, 2 p.m. or <laughs> something. Young Dyer. After, right? after, so the first match of that second set, so importantly, we arrived during uh, LGD versus Virtus Pro, the uh, Chinese team that's like a yeah. very famous team versus a Russian team. Um, and then we switched places during the break. And the next match was um, VG. VG, a local Shanghai team, which everybody's very excited about, against TNC Predator, which is a, a all Filipino team. And, and the, the first match, it was the best of three, and the first match, uh, two things happened in that. Okay. We were doing commentary, but also the match ran like 80 minutes long. Yeah, that was amazing. Because that, that was also the first match where um, Will and Steph were sort of, uh, we, they were going to wait, actually. They, you guys were commentating that match, and you were going to wait till the next one to explain it to me. And I was really trying to hold back interrupting you. Um, to ask questions, but it was wild. Like, um, just kept going. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was quite amazing. It felt like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I was thinking of like those tennis matches where it goes yeah. into tiebreak and just goes on and on and on. And it was also realized, like, the first time I'd clocked that it didn't have a clock. Like, it's not a time based um, game at all. It was, it was wonderful. So, that was the particular game that Will and I decided we cosplay at commentating mm-hmm. a match. As in you were pretending to be professional commentators? As in we're mm-hmm. pretending to know what we're doing, or to know what these characters are doing. Pick and ban phase. Enchantress, ancient lips, apparition, and sand king. Mouthy characters. TNC Predators going for the big mouth strategy right yeah. now. Chin, Marana, and Shadow Demon. The alchemist it? ban. Magnus, Enchantress, team fight, huge AoE stun, semi-carry, an offlaner, or yeah. like a four support. Passive ability is a massive penalty to their attack speed. Mm-hmm. Mid laner or an offlaner. If Magnus is, he really is that buff. Enchantress has good abs. Creepy, bloody, to the mouth. A lifestealer and the witch doctor. Juggernaut. Yeah, some more abs. Um, excellent. Very abby team. Yeah. And then they're still like, TNC is still kind of on the mouth theme. Yep. Sand King with that kind of like xenomorph alien mm-hmm. physique. Invulnerability spin that I'm blanking on what the name of that is um, right now. Blade Fury. Blade, Blade Fury. Fury, yeah. We got a Lena pick. Lena, yep. Lena Payne versus Lena mid. Movie ladies. Right, Hot Girl Summer here yeah. in Shanghai. I think I was just saying random item names and trying to put labels on them and that was absolutely wrong. Somebody just got Sheep Sick, but he has a BKB. So you got BKB, you got Sheep Sick so, here going in. Yep, BKB will give her a little bit of invulnerabilities. He just got sheep sticked, and that was not a sheep stick. <laughs> like, but it's great off. because he had yeah. the perfect audience who would believe everything you said. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you sound like, like you really know what you're really doing. Know the sheep sticks. But I mean, it was a really good game in the sense that it was incredibly balanced. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there was never any clear advantage. One team would take a team fight. A few minutes later, another team would take yeah. a team fight. Mm-hmm. So it was always correcting toward a base. It it wasn't like wow. those games where either there's like a steep up and a steep down, like a really dramatic comeback, yeah. or just a, a kind of um, death ball where, you know, one team gets ahead and then they just use that advantage to get more and more ahead and it just yeah. steamrolls from there. So we were just like, it's anybody's game. So I, I said yeah. that about yeah mm-hmm. at least 10 times where... Like, yeah. There's it really still... is an even game. Yeah. Kills are also like neck and neck, 12 and 12. It's... it's still anybody's game. But it looks like a pretty even distribution yeah. so far. No B 
Beachy's still ahead, but not in any clear way. It's a grudge match fight at this point. Everybody's just slugging at each other. They're sort of equalizing things are normal, normal again. No bold plays though. Still just a kind of basic farming strategy. It's an incredibly close game right now. It's an incredibly close game. Um, TNZ really pulled it back with that excellent team fight yeah. here. Backing off on the part of Vici. Back to farming. Back to farming. <laughs> We were just sitting there saying, well, you know, it's just anybody's game as they're farming in the jungle. And it, again, fun. It was a fun game and it was a well-balanced game. But boy, was that that was long. And by the end of it, I was my exhausted. My throat hurt. Like, yeah. My brain hurt. I I couldn't feel my consciousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah Dota 2, to, to put it in the most general terms possible, is like a, a tug of war between these two teams. Or it's like a... It's kind of about resource allocation and extraction on both sides. And importantly, like when we're watching it, we can see uh, like an AI kind of preview of who's what the percentage I of win is. Mm. We can see how much money each player is worth, like including all their items and stuff. We can see what their levels are. We can see kind of like gold graphs and things. Though interesting, the Chinese uh, observer wasn't really showing the net worth uh, mm. graph and the experience graph uh, for all the teams, but. The, t the teams can't see each other's stats, and they don't know what their percentage win is. So that whole time, there were, was such huge stakes. Like, you can imagine it. A local team, you have such huge stakes because this is your city. And then a Filipino team who has a different kind of huge stakes because this is, like, a lot of money, and this is a big opportunity. Um, playing so cautiously that they would, like, uh, kind of edge each other back and forth constantly throughout the whole game. And that's what extended the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was commentating upstairs with Alex Youngjing and Sheng Lun. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where, like, Sheng Lun eyes would just, like, roll back in his head and, like, blank out for, like, 30 seconds at a time. I ascended. As the, I like as, oh, sorry. No, 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 no it's fine. No, no, no. Like, that's an interesting sensation of, like, my eyes glazing over yeah. and taking in pixels and yeah. your voice, like... That was yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you <descended>. And <laughs> Youngjing, you had a totally different issue of information overload because you were hearing me saying a lot of things yes. and the Chinese observers saying a lot of things. like working really smoothly and non-stop pushing, pushing, pushing. The commentator is doing the same thing. He doesn't change grass at all. Unlike other sports, commentators, in at least in China, they, their tone is very flat in a way. Like, mm. you don't do like in Japanese way or the American. This is something... This and is, now, yeah. in the blue corner. You can do a better job. <laughs> but see, that's, yeah. that's like yeah. boxing. Like, horse racing is like this. It's like, and they're off and they're running, and then yeah, it's yeah. and it's pulling in front of you. And they accelerate when the match speed accelerate. And also, I noticed they use very clean language. Maybe that's a like user-friendly thing. Huh. Mm. All the audience are using all these terms that I couldn't understand. I turned regularly to this guy, this college kid mm. behind me. He he is wearing some secret T-shirt, and here is that player. Uh -huh. And I said, "Oh, so you're a player?" And he looked at me. He's, He's like, how dumb are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like going to a basketball game. Someone's in a jersey. Rooting <laughs> <laughs> for their you, team. You, oh, you're you Kobe Bryant. But really, said player here. <laughs> 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 uh. Yeah, and also they try to refer to each team by their name. 
So when we walked in, it's LGD. It's mm-hmm. like LGD is attacking the other team, the Russian team, and the central field is occupied by this person and that person. Like I know some basic words like milk. Mm-hmm. They never use it. They say it in a plain language way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you also notice that oftentimes they would say woman or We, tamen. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially to them. Was it RNG? Yes. Because it's Shanghai team. It's more apparently we say woman Shanghai. Interesting. And also when really? we say when oh. we they do a lot of like after show mm-hmm. commentary like what just happened or prediction what will happen mm-hmm. and if there is a Chinese team involved there was a three teams yesterday so three mm-hmm. matches is always if we had do this we'd win or or they're thinking trying to think like how the Chinese team would win mm-hmm. on behalf of them they never do it for the Russian team or the Filipino mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you could clearly see the bias, so like the the team allegiance of the players that were coming out. Yeah, like, yeah. This is yeah, really this is really interesting. I remember um, I I went back recently and rewatched the first TI that took place in Cologne, which was Navi versus Ihong.、Mm. Oh, so Russians. So yeah, it was a, a Russian that's kind of I guess probably regarded as European, more broadly even、right. Western,、mm-hmm. versus Ihong,、uh, the the Chinese team, and. Throughout that entire match, it was、uh, I can't remember who the second commentator was, but it was Toby Wan.、Mm-hmm. They would always refer to the the name of every single Navi player. So it'd be Dendi,、um, Puppy, Havost, Arzart, I think, and Xbox, which they weren't calling. Oh yeah, they weren't、Xbox. calling Havost. They were calling Xbox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because at that time they didn't know that that was how you would say his name. Wait, what? Because it's written. Um, His name is Xbox, but, but yeah. in in Russian you pronounce it Havost. Oh, because、uh, of、uh, the yeah, yeah, but it's like、right. Xbox B O C T that kind of.、Yeah. But they kept again and again, right? Like it, Light of Heaven,、um, mm. Dendi, all these names. Puppy kept coming up, and then they never ever referred to the names of any of the members of Ehome. They would just use the hero terms. Really?、Oh. Yeah. So it'd be like. Tide Hunter is coming up in the safe lane,、mm. that kind of thing,、mm. and so you really, really could see the allegiance just based on,、mm. you know, how they would on the on the naming that they、yeah. were doing. It sort of reminds me of that. Yeah, and also like to heroes, there's a Chinese translation of the hero's name, and you have your own translation.、Mm-hmm. I have to. Them, like oh, this is the same guy. Yeah, and there's a really excited guy behind me yelling constantly,、oh. and he's yelling this like pro pro terms in Chinese. So they, there's like three languages going on. Right. Yeah. Not just Chinese,、mm-hmm. but also the Chinese language of Dota. Yeah. I love the idea of thinking of the technical language of Dota as its own. Well, it is. Like、yeah. the fact that we can understand each other right now is a miracle. Because <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you guys are using. The the amount of like proper nouns that were populating、mm-hmm. your commentary, like、yeah. sheep sticking or whatever you just the BKBs are coming out just, like yeah and and <laughs> but I think especially recognizing the significance of characters in the draft for me、mm. I'm like oh that's a, okay looks cool ah、oh, she looks、uh-huh. badass but but like you know the signifiers I have no idea what's going on I love the drafting part because、mm-hmm. that's the only. Time I see the players, the actual players,、mm-hmm. really clearly,、mm-hmm. and also、mm-hmm. who's who. And you are Patrick is doing amazing introduction.、Mm-hmm. What? But it's always so packed because constantly there's a new hero coming out, and you have to 
skip this part and fast forward. Mm. But I really like that part. I like the bit just before it where they're walking out on stage. Yeah. Or, or like even the team videos they produce where yeah, they make yeah. the team seem as cool as possible. Like mm-hmm. we're playing frisbee in the park because this is our team building. <laughs> the Swedish team? The Swedish team yeah. alliance, right. And it's like, yeah. oh, we're not, you know, nerds in a basement. We're cool, masculine, hip people who wrestle. We go outside. That's the yeah. other team. Yeah. The nerds <laughs> in the basement. Well, then they walk on stage and you're like, oh, yeah. No, it's still like overcompensating. It's like, okay, we should go outside. <laughs> Just for the video. That, that's what I said as well. It's like, you have something to prove. Like, look, we don't stay inside all the time. At least we For the Chinese team, it's like a limited pool of gestures they can pull. Mm. It's always like this, covering your nose, or this, it's I'm a thinker. We should get a team photo in the style. Oh, yeah. Of <laughs> What's this one where it's like uh, making like a claw little pinch? With it's your either hand. nine or C uh-huh. or a half heart, as I ah, realized. Like yeah. You could feel it. Interesting. Do you think that means. He's lonely if it's a half heart. Peter's pointing to a uh, royal never give up poster where the person in the middle is doing this gesture. Uh, It'd be better like a boy if, band. If I'll know more. Them I'm going to their game today. So. It's not like, is it C for China? Is that a thing? I don't think so. Or is it vitamin? Like vitamin C. Oh yeah, that's, we need that's more. We need this. <laughs> yeah, we have scurvy. <laughs> Upper deck, we have scurvy the whole thing. <laughs> so, you know, so, they're, they're just living on monsters. Yeah. So, so that's the thing. Like, uh, we get through this really grueling. I mean, it was amazing, but but it was also grueling for the commentators, for the people listening. And Shanglin is like, okay, we need food. Like, it is it is way past lunch. We've been doing this for a long time, and we wait in this yeah. line and get to the front of the line, and like the only thing they have is like. Glazed potato chips, popcorn, and water. Mm-hmm. Poor level five. And it's long lines. It's like yes. it's like imagine like you're going to a hockey game or a baseball game, and you're waiting for the hot dog. It's a long line, but it's just water. I discovered that two hours earlier than you. I was in the site lane, and I thought I was smart. And the vendor said, "I only have one bag of potato chip," and I said, "I will take it." And then it's mine. The other uh-huh. guys are gone, and she said, "That's twenty-five." It's a really little bag of very salty chips. Very expensive. Yeah. Very yeah. expensive salty chips. Well, because when we did our level swap, when I met you outside and we mm-hmm. swapped over, I was I started initially thinking purely selfishly, and I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to miss another 15 minutes. I've just looked at this game that I have no idea what's going on, so maybe I'll go and get myself a sneaky hamburger or something. And <laughs> oh, no, did you? <laughs> well, I, so I walked... <laughs> I tried. A I, sneaky hamburger. Well, I did, you know, in my defense, I messaged the chat and nobody wrote back. I was like, I messaged and said, hey, you know, do I have time to grab a bite to eat? Because I was looking at the time and thinking, oh, I might regret walking past all these food stores in two hours time. And everybody's like looking daggers at Peter right now. And there was, but there was just this like throng of people like in every possible corner of this um, sort of shopping food area, like every restaurant was packed. I'm like, oh. I think if I actually, I don't want to go to a sit-down restaurant. That'll, I'll really be gone for a while. Mm. Um, so I went around and I found the hamburger place that had a line out the front of what looked like 200 people. I'm like, well, that's not going to work. And then I went to the convenience store where earlier um, when we were meeting Trevor, Brandon, Presley, we got um, some soft drinks. Mm. And even that had a line like in the 7-Eleven snaking around all of the different um, chip things. So I just got in that line. 
and just kind of randomly grabbed stuff. And I was even at the counter, like, grabbing the Skittles. I'm like, I'll just take all this. So this is why Stephanie has cookies in her mouth during that commentary. I wonder <laughs> how they got all that food. So when I went in, I'm like, well, look, I'll just, I'll just Lower level hype? <laughs> <laughs> And I took like yeah some almonds and cookies and you traitor. I was a level two person by then, and we look after our own. Oh, wow! It really it was a great moment to see Stephanie like absolutely like Doctor Stephanie Bullock completely crush a monster energy, <laughs> <laughs> and then a beer. Yeah. From the Red Bull outside of police, police At station. At the same time. <laughs> yeah, this was real gamer shit. I'll never go to level 5 again. I know. <laughs> but I, just to be clear, the food ran out before 3 p.m. Yeah. The matches went until midnight. well after midnight last yeah. night. Yeah. And so see. that's within three hours, four hours of mm. the games actually starting. That then went all day. So it I don't know wild. what happened. Although it was unclear, there, there might have been injection, food injections mm. because I uh, stayed on with Patrick in the evening and went and asked and they said we're out of food. And then I, at that point, had given into the eternal void of despair and <laughs> essentially shouted in Chinese, <laughs> 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 I just yelled like, I'm hungry, give me eight things. You and they reverted to childhood. Is it yeah, and they look like 25. <laughs> and they <laughs> ate employee food. Like, it was something yeah. they reserved for themselves. Yeah. And they, they, like, handed him a sad hamburger. <laughs> they gave me a, a hamburger. We split it. <laughs> I got the pickled veggie side. Yeah, sorry. I didn't good. split it very well. There were apparently no, two, but good. they didn't let me have the other. And yeah, I don't want to go to level five. <laughs> You're going there today. <laughs> You're going up to the top, Martin. Speaking of which, so we're recording this. It's about twelve thirty-six in the afternoon, and Game. in maybe twenty minutes or so, Team Secret is going to be yeah. playing against. Who are they playing against? Evil Geniuses. Yeah, Evil Geniuses. don't forget my right. beloved and yeah. my beloved. Are about fight. to go head to fight. head. Mm-hmm. Fight! Fight! Gonna... Fight! Yeah. Fight! We're 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 as bad as the audience at holding a champ this year. <laughs> yeah, hang on, hang on. One, two, three. Fight! 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 <laughs> this was in the um, kind of my delir- delirium. I said, "Oh, I bet you I can start a crowd chant." Mm-hmm. And I, because previously the youngest esport commentator, that uh-huh, yeah. they, they were pausing a lot in this particular game to fix, I don't know, their hair. And um, she led a crowd chant saying "Jia Yo, Jia Yo," which is Chinese for yeah. "Keep going, you can do it." Um, mm. Literally, add oil. Mm. Add oil. Yeah, you know, like add oil to the fire of your heart, mm-hmm. and that's. Like now you you're yell. cooking with gas. That's so good. <laughs> so I tried. I, I yell, "Tiayo, tiayo!" And you could hear. I think the audience respond in level increase, but there was no formal chant being created. Well, you know what? I are, want food too. There are Maybe enough of yell us. There are enough of us that I believe we could start a chant. We, yeah, I'm not sure how. As long we, as we're rhythmic enough, uh, we should. We practice. need to work on our chance. Boil Maybe. underwear. Boil it. <laughs> Boil <laughs> underwear. <laughs> Just around the corner from the food area, there was a graffiti wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We. That's the first thing we saw. Yeah. When we go is, to the five fifth level. Yeah. And it was really interesting seeing the. Um, there were a lot of things, you know, go this team, go that team, yeah. but also 
Yes. Maybe 50% of it <laughs> was just really rude stuff around uh, the organization of the event. Yeah. Like, uh, go to hell, damai, or shabi, damai, which means, like, moron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I was also struck by the kind of shorthand being used. Like, they would have acronyms for yeah. swear phrases. Yeah. Like, uh, something about damai's mom. Mm. Yeah. They were using, say, like, C-N-D-M, right? But now I have to... No, there was, yeah. wasn't it, like... Dama, your mother is dead or something? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, that's actually... <laughs> I, I recently... S-L. That's actually a Chinese daughter's land. Like what? One of what? The, one of the player, when he's excited or he has like a magnificent kill, he would say, your mother is dead. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. But that's pretty... That's so I thought that's his catchphrase. <laughs> but still... Four horses four. <laughs> I don't know in the Chinese language context it's much better than to do something to your mom mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so I that's think wild. that guy was being polite to say mai, your mom is dead they're being polite also yeah. that's okay yeah because it's like wait how are they writing it in characters or in like um, that in, one that was, I think that was an English acronym an English? Yeah. that one was like D M yes M S L or something da, da mai mai mama sula or something mm. like that yeah Past tense, <laughs> but as an acronym, yeah, as an English acronym. Yeah. So D D M M M. Yeah, that's so cool. Right, the horrible swears, but they're not that great. But that's really interesting. Is it Nimasa or Nimajohuis? Is either your mom is dead or your mom will be dead? No, no, it was it is dead, for sure. Okay, like on on the wall. I don't know what it is in Dota. Yeah. But I, I think it's wild seeing, yeah, this graffiti where everyone can write whatever they want. Yeah. And people are writing um, some pretty uh, specific happens. critique of the organization. Um, yeah, it's never against one team. It's against ticket office. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. oh, that's I mean, it's, it's a game in itself to, like, to get into that stadium. There's a whole meta that you have to spend a lot of time thinking about. Mm. Mm. As of now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think... With that, should we try to get into day two? I think so. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's do it. It's also not a great jam. (laughs) (laughs) We'll figure it out. That's ASMR. (laughs) Great. So during the break, some freshly minted Dota 2 fans, Alex, Shanglun, Yang Jing, and Peter, teach us some of the vocab they've learned. What is mint? Sorry. I just said. Oh, well, okay. Well, hang on. Yeah. We, uh, so we watched our first match, the four of us who don't know anything, and now we're experts. So we can ask, answer these questions. Yeah, so what is mid? He's a really fat guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Absorb all the heat. Uh-huh. So to free, same thing to happen to their teammates. Oh, they I, call that I, mid in this. Is that the idea? Yeah. Do you have I, a different take, Harry? Uh, yeah, I thought that mid was the middle lane, but that's not true. Both those things are true. Oh. The fat guy in the middle lane. Yeah, okay, in the middle lane. Oh, okay. Yeah. My understanding of mid is there's the five roles and the people in the middle of the five do things like doing the first hits on like NPCs and other things so that 
the characters that need that really need to level up get Carries. their kill hit or whatever um, to kind of, to help lift up the rest of the team. That was what I thought the kind of meant. Yeah, I think we're kind of. Uh, I think y'all are kind of circling in on it. It's like all those things combined. It's it's a person who is typically uh, in a set of. If you describe the team in numbers, from the person who consumes the most resources uh, but is least powerful at the start to the person who consumes very few resources, that'd be one to five. Mid is somebody in the middle of that, so like a three. Usually it's a two. Three is the offlaner. Who's assumed to take the middle lane as a solo lane and uh, take up as much resources there as possible without any intrusion by the other characters mm. so that they can do all these other tasks on the field. Um, and so it's usually somebody who's both scales well over time in terms of levels and uh, items and things like that, but isn't like too squishy at the beginning and won't get just murdered over and over again. Um, so it has some utility value. And then after the early game, the laning phase, uh, they're often the character that will go around and gank. Gank? What is gank? I hate this word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is gank? Oh, no. Why did you point at me? <laughs> this is the test. What is gank? This is our quiz. <laughs> what is gank? You can just make it up if okay. you don't. Gank is a hero. <laughs> Who's ganking? Ganking sounds like um, shanking, shanking, or killing to me. Something to do with killing. So if it's something that happens later in the game, ganking. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Can we preserve that entirety (laughs) in the podcast? Is it to kill wild animals? Is that ganking? Um, I specifically to kill. Players. Is it like um, gang shanking? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. It often is. Kind of, often. I think the implication of it is you're, you know, you're in one lane, you're like having a nice time, you know, whacking some creeps, oh, and yeah. then all of a sudden, like three enemies show up out of nowhere and gank you. Oh, it is a gang shanking. It's a surprise kill. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and you know how when the the crowd would go wild because there would be these suddenly like yeah. all the team oh, members would yeah. get together to be a team fight. Lots of lights and explosions. Things are happening. The commentators would speak really, really fast, yes. and then you're like, "What happened?" Yeah. This is instead where like the mid player will leave the mid lane and go rove around, and then you know pick off. Um, stray character or stray stray heroes that are sort of out of position or easy kills. And is that mostly solo killing, like the mid doing that by themselves? Or? Depends, because uh, you can you can gank mid if like your supports or your off lane like show up in mid to try to kill the opposing mid. But it can also be the mid going to another lane to try to kill somebody. Yeah, typically mid is one v one. So if a support wanders over, suddenly it's two v one. Do you remember Queen of Pain? When she w- it was like Queen Pain <sighs> versus Lena. Okay. Yeah. No, you- nobody remembers that. But uh, maybe those are like no. good, good <laughs> questions. <Cut that>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Do you remember Queen of Pain? Like, what is Queen of Pain? <laughs> is the no, question. I understand one thing. Like, I played another game, and everyone is telling me to gank someone. I thought I'm supposed to kill some irrelevant animal, and I went away. And everyone was angry. That's why. There you go. This transferable knowledge from this exercise. Do you remember skanking? Yes. <laughs> Not the same thing. It looked like what? Faceless Void was doing a little bit of it though. When he was like doing his like uh, <laughs> dance. What's skanking, skanking is a really 
embarrassing dance move done to ska music from memory. What the fuck? I'm thinking like <laughs> mid, mid to late 90s. Yeah. Wow. Oh, this is not a Dota There was a famous no. Nancy Vandal, or friends yeah. from Australian punk, do you want to go for a skank down to the shops? Yes. Wow. wow. Yeah, anyway. it's like an appropriation of like a kind of like post-war, maybe in between the wars, dance moves from like the, you know, big band era. Mm. Time out. Yeah. Maybe we should cut to I a was, break. So maybe a segue. I was just checking our, uh, our picture. We could segue to a short break if you want, or uh, we could segue into... For the back half of the podcast, we're going to dive even deeper into the Dota 2 ecosystem with an interview with Greg Laird, the CEO of Chaos Esports Club. We'll learn a bit about what playing Dota 2 is like from a team owner's perspective, the competition between brands for top talent, and their often fraught relationship with Valve. We have a really special guest with us today, um, my friend and sort of longtime Dota compatriot Greg Laird, um, who is one of, I think, going to play the role of the kind of ultimate insider for us. Um, so Greg, do you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do. So my name is Greg Laird. I'm the CEO of Chaos Esports Club, which is an American-based esports organization out of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we currently have teams in Dota 2, which is European, Counter-Strike, which is European, Rainbow Six, which is also European, <laughs> and Battle Royale, uh, which is a North American-based team. Um, I previously have worked as a sponsorship salesperson for a tournament organizer, as well as a business development manager for an esports uh, daily fantasy startup. Hmm. Um, as well as managing a team and starting as a commentator. So I've sort of dipped my toes along the way into everything. Um, and that's part of how I guess why we got here. Yeah. And so on the topic of how you got here, how does one actually become like an esports CEO? Uh, <laughs> like, what did you go to school for? Tell us how to do it. Yeah. 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 So What's think, the trick? How can I do this? I think normally the CEOs of esports teams are the founders. Um, mm -hmm. Not always, but... Uh, I guess in today's day and age, it's actually a little less common for it to be the founder. Um, so I have a business degree. I went to Northeastern University in Boston um, to the College of Business Administration. I have a minor in music industry, weirdly, uh, and a concentration in management information systems, just like databases and things like that. Um, obviously, I don't really use that technical portion of my degree anymore, but um, that's sort of, sort of how I got started. And how I actually got started in esports was commentating. Mm. Um, originally, I was a collegiate commentator for StarCraft II for my university. Like people just wanted to watch our games, so I cast them because you know cause it wasn't a big deal. It was like you know broadcast the Twitch from my dorm room. Um, <laughs> eventually, I've always played Dota like since Dota One. Eventually, the International One happened. I got a beta key like very shortly after. Started commentating Dota Two. Um, I did that for a few years. I was a group stage analyst at TI4, and then during TI5, I managed a team, which was um, Archon, which was one of the wildcard teams. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually, at the end of that, I basically had graduated school and um, started working at Beyond the Summit. So um, Beyond the Summit was really like the first sort of real full-time, well, I guess that's actually not true. Vulcan was actually my first real full-time esports job. Um, so I've kind of had a weird path where I started on the very sort of grassroots back end with players and tournaments. And then uh, once I was done with school, I moved to the West Coast to work at a daily fantasy startup called Vulcan. 
Um, there I was the business development manager. I basically designed marketing programs and activations to help people come to the platform. So that what that looked like was Hearthstone tournaments, talk shows, um, and sort of influencer stream marketing. Um, and then pretty shortly after I actually came to that job, I left that job and um, started working at Beyond the Summit in Southern California, which um, at the time was a very small grassroots tournament organizer, only did Dota 2. They were kind of known for mm-hmm. doing tournaments out of their house, uh, which you know is sort of how esports and gaming really started, mm-hmm. lands at people's houses. And they decided to do that on sort of a larger level with big prize pool. And teams at the time loved the tournament because it was really casual. There weren't fans they had to deal with. You know, the environment was nice. They got fed all the time. Um, so I did sponsorship sales for there for a while. We expanded into other games. Some of my like major clients from that job are Monster Energy, um, Weed Maps, Sennheiser. Um, those are sort of the three I'm kind of like most proud of, I guess. But mm-hmm. there, we had all sorts of partners along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I eventually started doing sales for teams as sort of like a consultant, just freelancing basically. I, I was thinking about starting a sponsorship agency. So I was kind of gauging the market and seeing if I wanted to do that. Turned out I did not like the contractor life. Like I did not like how little control I had over situations. I lost like a couple deals that I was, it was kind of crushing, honestly, that were really far along. Mm. Um, so at that point I decided I wanted to be kind of more involved again in the, in the whole process with a team specifically where I had more control. I had kind of done the tournament organizer thing and wanted to move to teams because I thought it was just like interesting new. Um, I get bored pretty easily. So it was nice. Um, and then I uh, did contracting for a while and eventually found a full-time role at, at DC as the CEO and then rebranded to chaos about six months later. Nice. I have two uh, kind of related yeah. questions. The first is, um, is, is a business degree actually useful for this kind of stuff? And, and kind of related to that, if I'm, if I'm understanding your timeline right, you're really starting to dig into this type of work right when live streaming is just starting to be a thing and kind of in its early stages. And so what sort of made you recognize that this was something that you really wanted to invest in? Sure. Can we take these in reverse order? Yeah. Okay. So to answer the second question, um, I had always been interested in gaming. Like growing up, I played Warcraft, Starcraft, Dota, whatever. Um, and I think Starcraft two was probably the thing that really like brought me into competitive, like actual, you know, what I would consider esports, not just kind of casual gaming. Um, it was when I was in college, I was very interested. I thought the personalities were more engaging than like, you know, watching Netflix or like, you know, also when you're in, you know, when I moved to a new dorm, so I was mostly just on my computer and it was kind of like a unique, uh, thing that I really enjoyed. So that was sort of. The start of it was just like I was a viewer. I loved StarCraft 2. I loved individual mm-hmm. players. Like, at, you know, still to this day, I think like my fandom for like Huck and Idra is like <laughs> pretty unmatched. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, like there's only a few players in any game that I feel like how I felt about them at that time. Um, so that was kind of the start of it. And then I eventually took photos for Team Liquid at uh, a tournament and kind of like met a lot of people involved in the scene and very quickly was, was very interested in kind of like figuring out how I could just get more involved. So that was a lot while I was in college. So I was kind of doing multiple things at once, but um, started as a casual interest. And like I said, people from my school wanted to watch our games. So I just decided to start streaming them. It sounds a little bit like a, a kind of like snowball approach. Like, you're doing specific grassroots things that you have complete control over, like 
casting college games or like being part of a the specific community or showing up to events. How did you eventually start to leverage those um, those types of things into these more serious moneyed positions? Like, it, so the photo job, for example, is that just like well, that was totally free. Just like pitch. No, oh yeah, there yeah, was so, no pay. So there's a lot of pro bono stuff. <laughs> oh that yeah. Start. But yeah. it's kind of a thrill, right? Because you at least get into the events. Yeah, you get to meet everyone. Yeah. You know, you get a media pass. Uh, they give you access to the players. And you know, for me as a college student at the time, like that was enough for me to just be interested in doing mm -hmm. it. Like I had done a lot of like wedding photography and motorsports photography growing mm -hmm. up in high school. So it yeah. was actually like kind of a unique combo of like you know, kind of wedding, kind of sports because it's live stage. But it's like Dota's it needs, we need like motorsports. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it looks like portrait style with like live lighting, yeah. you know, so it's a lot different than totally. um, that. So that was sort of how I got started and, and involved. And then, you know, for me, I think it was just like I got more and more interested in the games. Um, and then for me, like I'm a, I'm definitely, I get very engaged by the community. Like if the content around the game is really good, like a, the, one of the huge things, honestly, that drew me into StarCraft 2 was State of the Game, which yeah. is a weekly podcast that was just so good, like yeah. unmatched. This is a very esoteric question, but I remember hearing stories from wedding photographers that like one of the um, trickiest parts was, do you overexpose the dress or get someone's face right? Now, like when you shift to eSports, <laughs> like, you know, major yeah, like do you overexpose the screen or do you get their face? Or Yeah, it depends, right? I mean, it's honestly, it's like, do you blow out the stage lighting or do you like try to get them yeah. properly lit? And I think it's just... Depends. I, I never had to deal with any like huge stadium shows where it really got crazy with like pyro or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I never had those problems. But but you I mean, also don't have a digital simulation of the wife's face that you can just pull up and like true <laughs> photoshopping. Yeah. What do you mean you don't have a digital? There were no do overs <laughs> with the uh, with that. Well, yeah. Like, would you just like Photoshop in a correctly exposed screenshot of screenshot of Dota rather than like you know trying to get their face look good and have this like white white screen? <laughs> yeah, it depends. I mean, honestly, I think people do. Stitch photos together for stuff like that sometimes. Sorry. So back to the make sure we are um, staying on semi oh, yeah, question, question about sorry. the BBA. Oh yeah. So any value in that business thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, for now, I think there's a lot. Uh, previously, I think there was still some. Like honestly, weirdly, my accounting classes have been very useful. Especially, I mean, in my current role, they've been extremely useful. Um, and I think more for, so Northeastern, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Northeastern, but it has, you do three, six month internships. It's a five year school. So for me, the internships were like absolutely instrumental in my future work. I did work at a boutique consulting firm where I worked on mobile device manufacturer lawsuit and arbitrations. So I did like a lot of sort of case writing on, um, device strategy and stuff. I don't, there's, I still have NDAs for those somehow. Mm. Um, but, uh, sort of, and, and also I think I did a lot of work there on sort of building presentations and interacting with external clients. So that was what sort of led me to sales was the, the things that I learned in that job was like, you know, and I also actually worked in retail in college at Apple. So mm. I had good customer service skills. I had good deck making skills and, um, good sales skills. So it was kind of a natural, um, transition eventually for me to get into sales after I'd done business development at, at Vulcan. So, yeah, I think it's useful. I think more like, you know, the, in class to class, like my concentration and stuff, no, but like sort of macro, you know, organizational behavior and um, the accounting stuff's all useful and, and stuff like that. So, and I started as a music major too, so it's kind of, yeah. 
little different. <laughs> what skills did you find that you were lacking and then, you know, had to accumulate in other ways? Honestly, like in this role, I've had to do a lot of work to become more creative. Um, our team is, a, at least so far, is a lot different in content strategy and, and sort of like overall brand strategy than most esports teams. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's been a lot different than things I've ever worked on in the past. Like I, like I said, I started as a music major, so I have like a, there is a component in there somewhere that is creative, but I've never done that as a job before. Um, you said that your team is different compared to other teams in their mm-hmm. image and that kind of thing. So how is it different? Like what is the norm versus how your team does it? So when you look at like an old school esports brand, like the two that I kind of point to the most often are Team Liquid and Cloud9. They're mm-hmm. very focused on in-game performance, you know, talking about the players and how it relates to the game. And when they started, they had sort of this view where it's like, you know, we want to show the polished view of like the life of a gamer. You know, there's everything they put out is really well edited. Uh, It's very topical to the players and the games. They don't really do anything off topic. Uh, And there were just sort of restrictions on the content that they make are a lot tighter. So then you, the, the sort of new school of brands is like 100 Thieves phase. Uh, and I think, you know, for us, we are much more interested in sort of pursuing a strategy like that where we have a lot more flexibility. So one thing we've done already is we've started a lifestyle YouTube channel that's hmm. separate from our like gaming YouTube channel. And anything that has to do with in-game content or is very, very specifically around our pro players, like at a competitive event, we put on the gaming channel. But, you know, for instance, I do a weekly vlog about running the business and like things I do week to week. We put that on the lifestyle channel. I do vlogs about bringing my car to the track because I'm like a huge car fanatic. Um, And obviously there's a huge crossover in audience between cars and video games. It's 18, 34 year old males, you know, so... um, there's a lot Jealous. of, yeah, you know, spotted me. literally spotted. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of great opportunities for, I think, other content that's non-gaming content. And especially when you sort of like look forward at our next sort of six months to a year, we're working pretty tirelessly on some sort of investor collaborations and uh, bringing new investors to the brand that have interests outside of gaming and are people that we can do stuff with outside of gaming. And I think... Now, when you think about what people want out of content from an esports team, they don't want to see Matumba Man's top five kills from TI. They want to see Matumba Man's week at TI and like what he did after he lost. Like, you know, they want to see like the real down to earth Chinese food. Yeah, like they want, (laughs) yeah, it's like they want the timely topical stuff, you know? So for us, we focus a lot more on like casual vlogs and a lot less on like a really highly polished product and we still do have you know like for ti we did a road to ti series because our players were this is their first tournament together and they qualified for international so we did a video series about you know what was your road to this team over the last year and that was you know a more polished um you know well-produced thing and that was something we put on the gaming channel but you know my vlog about this week which is sitting over in the corner (laughs) that's going to be on the lifestyle channel do do you want us to boot it up again oh it's fine no it's it's it's, it's, it's recording in 4k so it has a very short time so maybe then uh actually a good question for you is if you had to tell me like how did you get here like in turn to shanghai like Mm -hmm. why are you here and what are you trying to lifestyle tidbits (laughs) um so i'm in shanghai for a few reasons um, so I guess to give a little bit of context and sort of like what kind of staff comes to an event like this for us. 
So we have five players, obviously, that are actually playing. We have a coach um, that's like an in-game draft hero, you know, very technical coach. We have a manager who also used to be their coach, so he can still provide input on sort of like Dota-related topics, but now he definitely has more sort of broader managerial responsibilities around just like making sure the team gets from Poland to China without dying and, you know, mm -hmm. get all their visas, and mm -hmm. you know, which sounds trivial, but it's, it's not. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard we, to get them from one place to another. Enough cliffs to go um, As people who were at a police department yesterday, we know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have those two people in addition to the five players, and then we also have a general manager. He sort of manages our competitive rosters across all games. Um, he's the one that I go to. That's like, what should we do with this roster? He's an ex-pro player from two games, of Dota and PUBG. Mm. So he has kind of a really broad uh, experience, which is really nice. And then we also have a videographer here to obviously film content. Um, and then I also came to basically meet with external partners. And then near the end of this week, especially at the international is really when rosters are, are born and killed. So mm -hmm. yeah. I just need to be here to make sure everyone knows that a, we're serious about continuing to have a Dota team and, and B, you know, what that package might look like, what the incentives might be. Because I think the other thing that we do, um, which is quite a bit less common is we are open to sort of stock option arrangements with players, depending on who the player is, um, how long they're interested in joining the team, what their role would be. Uh, and, you know, for me, I'm interested in incentivizing them in the long term to stay with the brand because that honestly is very unusual in Dota. Um, but I think there's a lot of value there. So we're going to come back to that. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that the team you have is... It's their first team together, so this actual lineup has not been with Chaos that long. No. Um, so basically got signed right before the qualifiers for this. So is it fair to basically say you made a bet on the team? We made a bet on Misery, it's our <laughs> captain, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, over the past sort of six months, to be honest, we've basically given them a free run over the roster. Um, there have been downsides to it. We've had a lot of roster changes since the beginning of the year. Um but I think, you know, in the end, we did qualify for the event. It's hard to say. Obviously, we did not meet our goal uh, getting eliminated in group stages. I think, you know, for us, we were really looking for sort of ideally, I mean, in an ideal world, like top eight, I think, was like a reasonable goal. But, you know, I would have been more than happy with nine through 12th. Um, so, you know, it's new and, and we definitely made a bet, I think. But, you know, for us, like we're a Dota brand. We wanted to be at this event, like more than anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, so does the, um, the actual, so obviously it's a lot of value to just being at TI because yeah, the visibility yeah. for the team, Brand visibility if, for um, sure. if you can say, what do you think the actual cash value of qualifying for TI <laughs> is? Over what time period, I guess over like six, maybe three or four months in either direction. Yeah. Months in either direction. Mm -hmm. Like how much money it's, it's, is going to go into chaos's pocket because you qualified to this event? Versus if your team had just like burned out on qualifiers. Cash in pocket, probably way less than you think. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's definitely less than seven figures and like cash in pocket. But, you know, in sort of total brand value and like bringing more eyeballs to the brand, I think it has a ton of, it honestly has a ton of cash value. And I think over, when you think about like the snowball effect of like being at multiple TIs in a row mm -hmm. is when I think you also really start to get like the, okay, this is a tier one Dota team and We'll talk about the problems with Dota later, but you know, being at multiple TIs in a row is one thing that you can do to show that like you know how to participate in the space. You know, your exact placement at TI, there's only so much you can do at the end of the day to control your players. But mm -hmm. um, you know, getting to TI, that's that's definitely like an org, you know, org slash captain responsibility.
Thanks. Um, yeah, thankfully my question is not not a diversion from this at all. Um, during the match today, Patrick and I were talking a lot about, um, you know, trying to guess what life was like for the players, comparing them to, like, other things that we might be more familiar with, such as, like, other sports players where your, you know, your, your income is some derivation of not just prizes, but sponsorship and this whole other kind of mm-hmm. business that is your 12 month rather than this thing that happens in a short amount of time. And we, were, we had all these like strange specific questions, mm-hmm. um, such as things like, you know, if you're in another country, uh, you're in another like uh, tax administration and you get prize money, mm-hmm. where does that, like, what country is paying the tax? You know, is it income <laughs> in China or is it like because it's through Dota? Is it where. Uh, valve, valve is registered like that how is, is all this work? very dependent on the tournament uh Ooh. this tournament for instance valve pays the players directly so uh-huh. you base the players basically have a dashboard where they fill out their tax information um their payment information how much money is going to the organization that's actually all submitted by the players and then valve pays the players directly um i think in the well actually i'm not 100 percent sure how it worked this year because it's in shanghai but in the past, basically, it's reported as you know contractor income, just like anything else. Mm. Um, almost not well in this day and age. Not all players are contractors. You know, Overwatch League players, League of Legends players are much more likely to be actual employees because of the sort of yeah. living arrangements and stuff. Um, but um, for the vast majority of it, it just gets reported as contractor income, and then they take taxes on their end, which for some European players can be significant. Sure. You know, um, and then in the case of China, I have heard of money being withheld both on the u.s side getting sent to chinese tor- to chinese like teams that are getting paid for u.s tournaments and for chinese tournaments that are paying u.s teams well also historically honestly chinese tournaments have a very bad track record of paying out on time um mm-hmm. so it kind of becomes more complicated but mm-hmm. uh yeah it's, it's just it's contractor income so yeah, speaking of China, how has the how has studying the international in China affected your work? It's a pain. It's far. Uh, I mean, for me, it's just a pain. I mean, for our media team, it's a pain. The internet is a pain. Um, you know, so but I pain. think it. Well, you know, from a from a day to day situation, it's a pain. But I think on like a macro level, I think it's really cool that the event is here because China is like sort of the place where Dota is the most popular. Uh, and I think you can see normally at TI, the first two days, it's not full. Like the stadium mm-hmm. is like 30% full, maybe. Yesterday and today, stadium was full. Mm-hmm. So I think that is really, really awesome. And I think that, uh, you know, you get a completely different crowd here, which a lot of people have noticed. Um, but I think, you know, more than fair as the TI crowd in Seattle was similarly biased. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's different, but I think having the event here is awesome. I also have a slight conspiracy theory that they put it here this year to make sure the prize pool is higher than last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, why? They've been saving How? that? <laughs> because the Chinese players are the ones that spend the most money on the battle pass. Right. So if it's here, they're going to spend even more money. Um, which they did. Which they did. <laughs> so that worked well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a pain. Traveling's a pain, but I think it's really cool that it's here and I wouldn't want to hear every year, but I'm happy to come and enjoy it here. We're going to kind of dive into Chinese culture and Dota a little bit on tomorrow's uh, episode where I think Young Jing is hosting and we're going to visit a bunch of sites around town, sure. t- team houses, night cafes and stuff. But I was wondering, like, from your perspective, uh, what does it mean when you say like Dota in China or Chinese Dota? Like, like what is that history for, for you? So Dota 1 was was kind of 
it was so it was huge in China. To put it lightly, I don't even know like how to describe. Like it it was a really tier one esport. It was something that you can compare to like StarCraft One in Korea. I think um, DK was like a legendary team in their like heyday of of Dota One. Um, so obviously a lot of that transforms over to Dota Two and. I think as a result, the entire ecosystem here is, is a little bit further ahead. Um, in general, and this is obviously in general, players make much more money month to month in salary. They make much less money in prizes, so the, the org takes a slightly higher prize cut. Mm -hmm. Much less is probably mean, but they take less uh, from prize money. So organizations are able to sign longer contracts as well. And the other thing that happens here is like high transfer fees are much more common. And the other thing is when you look at like the landscape of team ownership in China, Dota is almost like a franchise league in the US. Mm. Not in structure, but in who owns the teams. Like IG is owned by the son of the richest person in China or the richest family in China. Um, and LGD, very, very, very wealthy uh, group in China as well. So it's it's more, you know, when you look at like Robert Kraft and, you know, all the people that own the Overwatch slots, it's kind of more like that. So I think the ecosystem here is, is a little further ahead. Yeah. Um, and you can definitely see it in sort of the, the legal st structure of the, of the scene. And not to take up too much time on this uh, topic, but we were talking earlier uh, before you got here that one of the things you see then is some of those names from some of those early teams like DK are like still around in the scene. Mm -hmm. They don't burn out their players. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, Burning is casting this tournament. Like mm -hmm. you see these familiar faces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's it's you know similar to like NFL in the U.S. You know, it's a much more legacy game where they have a much greater history and a lot more pull from. Um, and the personalities are are similarly popular. You know, I think they even go into like Western. You know, they have. They have memes about everything. Like we were before we started, we were saying <laughs> one of our players is called Toilet Bro. Uh, Chinese <laughs> forums. Um, and that's like an affectionate term, you know, it's not like, yeah. you know, a derogatory thing. So it's, it's just, it's a lot different here. And I think it's a lot more community driven. Like as a North American person, Dota 2 is not very popular in North America. You know, it's kind of the low, one of the low regions, um, cause it has a lot of competition. So it's, it's nice being here. It's different. So what are some of the barriers to get from like from here to there, here being like where Dota 2 and maybe esports more broadly is in the West to this more developed ecosystem we've seen in China? I actually think a huge part of it is player education. I think that players don't still really get what they're getting into sometimes. Like you, it's still, it's not rare to get like lawyers involved now, but it still doesn't happen as much as I think it should. Like I actually tell our players all the time, like don't get an agent, just go get a lawyer. You need someone who can actually review like the ins and outs of this and tell you what you're getting into. Um, so I think that's part of it. I also think that sponsorship is still lagging a little bit in North America and Europe compared to Asia. Um, that certainly will have a big impact as well. Once we start getting sort of more consistent, like seven figure yearly brand deals for organizations, I think that we'll see more opportunity to do stuff like that. I also think like Dota in the West will probably never become like Dota in Asia just because mm -hmm. like players, you know, that have been in the game for nine, like there are players that have basically played at, you know, eight, seven of nine TIs or eight of nine TIs or whatever that are very used to how it works and don't really want it to change. So I'm mm -hmm. not sure it will right. at this point. So that's maybe a good um, spot to ask. Like, Chaos runs teams and Battle Royales in CSGO, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in Rainbow Six Siege. But what makes Dota different as sort of an esport from, actually just as a, a, a 
difficulty of managing games in different scenes. Yeah, so the upside of Dota is it has no rules. The downside of Dota is it has no rules. Um, Wait, it has no rules? Yeah, like around like team ownership, how you administer your team. Like there, there are a couple rules, but like compared to every other league, there are no rules. I mean, that's like playing Dota. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and the other thing about Dota is like the players, honestly, are, are still the ones who really control a lot of sort of what happens with teams and stuff. Like if we're in a team, in a situation with our team and three of our players want to leave, we're not going to hold them in contract because they're going to play like shit if we do. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's still, it's still a very weird situation in the West with like how it, how it sort of works. Um, why, why do players have more power compared to all these sports? Because <sighs> you can't, you're not going to litigate internationally, like literally. That's a big part of it. It's like, it's not worth the effort. Teams don't want bad PR. The other thing, honestly, in Dota is like, if players don't like you, you'll never get a good team again. It just won't happen because the players are way more friendly with each other than they are with organizations. And like, again, a lot of these players have been playing together for 10 years. So they care more about each other than anything else. So like, basically you sign an NDA with them. The first thing they do is break their NDA. So you kind of see that in the scramble after yeah, every CI too. Yeah, like the players time, yeah, make a bunch of stuff yeah. happen. Would you say there's a brotherhood of Dota kind of? Players? Yeah. I mean, they definitely are fiercely competitive, which I think makes it harder for that kind of like healthy dynamic to happen. But like, there definitely is part of that dynamic. And like our, t- our players actually call each other brother, like all the time, <laughs> like literally toilet break. Yeah. <laughs> And certainly I think with, you know, Dota being a lot of the players, especially in the West, are players who are sort of around to the prior wave of professionalization Mm -hmm. in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so to me, you know, as someone who does comparative work in esports, seeing that like Overwatch League kind of got to call the shots of what Overwatch Mm -hmm. was going to be like as an ecosystem, Mm -hmm. whereas Dota just kind of had to like receive this and inherit it and build on it. And the other thing, there's no community manager in Dota, you know? At Valve, there is no one that administers the leagues. There is no one that administers the majors. There is no one that you can just send an email to about, like, a question you have. There's just... That doesn't exist. So, you know, it's... it's The players kind of just, like... If they talk to each other and decide something, it's, like, hard to battle it, you know? And Valve will almost always just take the side of the players versus an organization, so... I'm kind of convinced that Valve has exactly six employees... Like, yeah. that work on Dota, you're not far off. <laughs> so, actually, so describe what your relationship is like with Valve versus, say, like Ubisoft, who owns like the IP over like Rainbow Six. We have no relationship with Valve. Uh, I had a call with Ubisoft within the last month, so that kind of mm-hmm. like that's it, really. I mean, we just Valve. Like, as for me, I don't mind it at all. To be clear, like I'm a Dota like. OG basically so mm-hmm. I know how to operate in the scene I know all the players I know all the casters I know all the talent like I know everyone involved so it's like if I ever need to know something or need to talk to someone it's not a problem I don't have like those barriers but if you're a new organization looking at Dota it's like just a labyrinth like you have no idea who to talk to about anything there's no clear structure for anything mm-hmm. um, sorry I forgot the original question was but I was sort of just like if you know your relationship to publishers oh, yeah. So Valve basically like they do interact with the players. They don't really interact with organizations at all. Like, you know, around TI, obviously we interact with them around like what our branding should look like and, um, and stuff like that, but they don't get involved in sort of like, you know, what the players are doing, what the players are making, what their contracts look like. Like they don't get involved in anything like that. 
Um, they will get involved if they think something bad is happening. Like if they think someone is being unfairly taken advantage of, or if their organization is doing something really horrible, you know, they will step involved, step in, get involved to protect the players basically. Um, which, yeah, no, don't have a problem with that, you know? Mm. Um, but then when you look at a publisher, I think Ubisoft is a great example to point to because they're kind of the polar opposite where not in terms of regulation, but in terms of communication and sort of, um, league development they're very very actively involved so they have revenue share programs that come up to teams that they actually do take feedback on the teams on about like what do you like about this program what don't you like about this program um and stuff like that so they also have been a lot more active about i think making changes to the competitive format to improve the game but to be fair dota is the best balanced game in the world basically so i think they also do that but um yeah yeah, actually, your your comment that um, there's sort of no rules in mm-hmm. the business world for for Dota got me thinking about how when you're playing Dota, you know, every draft phase you're deciding what what game yep. of Dota you're going to play today, and yep. and the meta changes every year. And I'm just really curious that whenever there's a patch update or you know, as the the kind of meta for the game evolves over time, how does that actually affect the business end of things? Or does it affect the business things? It certainly can. I mean, you can see like your roster can get like patched out of competitiveness, right? Like it happens. Like Mm -hmm. teams have just like gone from being top to just dumpster because like the things that they were doing really well got nerfed or, um, or the weaknesses. What normally happens in Dota is the weaknesses of your heroes get magnified. They don't. They tend to not turn things down. They just tweak everything so everything else is that broken. Or they make <laughs> your. They also the other thing they like to do is is make your weaknesses more glaring so it's easier to take advantage of. <laughs> Are there mm. any specific examples that you could think? Of? Um, plus Ti three with Alliance. Yeah, Ti three was a perfect example. Alliance had this strategy which was really dedicated to spreading their heroes all over the map and pushing mm-hmm. the whole map at once. And it was really hard to play against. And there were a couple heroes that had like teleport mechanics that made it really, really, really powerful. And they won a Ti on it. And very shortly after Ti, that strategy was much worse. <laughs> um, and Alliance has never even come close to being really that good again. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. It definitely happens. I think the metas around the metas around TIs have developed a lot. Like TI three was a, a big rat Dota split push year. TI four was a huge like twenty minute death ball year. That was the first year Steph and I went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the, the, only year. the year newbie won, and like the finals were really lame. Honestly, <laughs> uh, everything was divided by the first team fight. Yeah, basically, and then there was this death profits every game, and then you just basically pushed down in twenty minutes. Um, and now we've kind of reached a point where most pro players think the meta is really, really healthy now. I mean, we have all sorts of games. The hero pool is insane, uh, especially when you compare it to other MOBAs. Yeah. Um, and I think on the business side, you know, you just have to be, Dota is the game you have to be by far the most cognizant and the most agile because there's so much stuff that changes all the time. And if you are not paying attention, you can just get chewed up and spit out. I have a question, which is kind of like, feels very shallow compared to all the other ones, but why is it that um, all of the pro players are so young? Well, in Dota, I think they're a lot, in Dota, they're a lot older. I mean, compared to like Fortnite or, you know, games like that. I mean, I think the average Dota player is probably over 20, which is, I mean, the average Fortnite player is like 15. Yeah. Or younger. (laughs) Well, yeah, the average, well, in the, well, in the World Cup, when you had to be 13, the average age was 15. So, I mean, it's like, why, why do they like stop 
stopped doing it professionally so early though like you wouldn't say that a 25 year old's old but for well, a pro in dota, player, in dota like, there oh, are 27 28 mm -hmm. i think in dota that it's less common because it's less of like a twitch it's less of like a twitch game like counter-strike and more of like a strategic game but i think honestly like in games like counter-strike and stuff you do you lose your physical edge when you eventually but like you know fear is like 30 and he's still playing competitively and he's still good so I think Dota, the age thing is not as big of a deal, but, mm. um, you know, and, and honestly for the other games, like where age is a huge deal, time commitment, learning, it's just the normal sort of like younger kids are better at learning things than, than older people. Are we going to see like 40 year old, 50 year old Dota players? Uh, I think in, I mean, in like 10 to 20 years, if Dota is still around, there will be older Dota players, hundred percent. Cause um, like, I think like Dota and Counter-Strike are games that have immense staying power. That people who have been playing Dota have been playing Dota for 15 years, yep. and I don't think they're going to stop. You know, right? It must be. So it might weird. slow down, but like, I don't. I don't think like someone like Fear is ever going to be like until he's like way older, or there's something way cooler. He's going to be like old, yeah. old Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 this one U.S. player, the uh, the Chinese players call him Old Captain America because he looks like he's Steve an older Rogers. player, and he was the leader of the American oh, okay. team. Nothing and, to do with uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> they also call him the Fossil. Which is like absolutely <laughs> he's not even yeah, he's not even that old really. Yeah, he's like so, thirty one now. Yeah. <laughs> wow, how old? There, there's something really funny, um, and maybe this gets back to some of Will's uh, questions about the the bad side of Dota. But um, there's this openness to mm -hmm. define what Dota is, both as the game you play. You come at it, and you can decide in the draft what you want to do, like what kind of Dota you want to play. Uh, and from the business side, it seems like you also have this flexibility to yeah. kind of like, but, but actually, sorry, I have a great example yeah. that, that I just realized. So when we signed our team this year, they were South American. They lived in Brazil. We had two European players, three Brazilian players. Uh, eventually we had a new roster and we moved them to Europe mm -hmm. because we looked at the DPCs. We looked at the DPC points. We looked at the players that were available. All of the good European teams had already qualified to TI. So we said, Europe is pretty free, honestly. Like it, there were one or two teams that looked like they might be in the qualifiers. So at that point, when we were rebuilding our team, we had a concentration on finding European players because we knew that the European qualifiers were going to be easier. Yeah. So we ended up with four European players and one sort of C import to play carry. Um, so it, it definitely, that's what I mean about like, you need to be agile, you need to be aware mm -hmm. because if not, like you could just make a horrible business decision. Like NA this year was a meat grinder for the TI qualifiers. Right. Like a bunch of pretty good orgs did not get into TI. It seems like some of the downsides of that kind of flexibility is that um, you have to be like in the know. Mm -hmm. Like there's exclusivity and the network is smaller and tighter mm -hmm. because the people who are making decisions about what Dota is, it's not a hierarchy coming no. from the top necessarily. It's like who's jiving at that particular moment mm -hmm. um, and figuring it out. Um, and that seems to also be some of the ways that um, like money gets divvied up, like in terms of tournaments and stuff, yeah. match that kind of concentration yeah. of if you've done it once, maybe you can do it again. But if you've never done it, it's hard. Yeah. I think, fine. Uh, with what I would say about Dota and like especially like a team like ours where we're really like organically involved is we get a lot of like off-market deals mm -hmm. like we get opportunities that no one else gets like this honestly the roster that Brazilian roster no one else even had an opportunity to sign that roster because mm -hmm. we had just been like we basically had shepherded the whole process the whole way and we knew what they wanted and I knew what they wanted and I just offered them you know fair wage and they didn't go looking for mm -hmm. anything else you know so 
Um, it's just, it's, it's, you have to be involved and, you know, there are a couple people in Dota that do kind of help broker things here and there. Um, especially that there's a, there are a few people that players trust, uh, quite a bit to kind of guide them towards like, you know, is this an okay deal? Is this an okay org? Because a lot of players, to your point, some of them are new and younger and Dota actually has had kind of not really that much of a wave of younger players. Although I guess a lot of the Southeast Asian players are way younger. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, a wave of new players where some of the old players are just kind of burnt out. They stopped practicing as much. They got worse and they got replaced, you know, Mm -hmm. um, our carry player is a perfect example. He's really young, really new. This was his first international tournament. Um, so not international, like his first international. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you, yeah. When you were talking about uh, bouncing off Stephanie's question about you know the updates to the game, mm-hmm. patches, changing strategies, um, we were talking about this the other day, and it's a little bit esoteric, but um, in academia, it's been quite famous the use of various um, training AIs to um, run through games and to train AIs as well as to um, train game strategies. Does that stuff get used professionally? Like, if a patch comes out, are you guys running like? Um, uh, various like uh, what um, it what it wasn't Google's, it wasn't Google's AI that was uh, for Dota Elon Musk's Open AI yeah like yeah. D- does that actually function professionally where like a patch comes out and you guys leave it playing overnight to see what it does or is it really just the creativity of players you know seeing what's happened and new strategies emerging? I think so far AI is not good enough to do that in Dota it's too mm. complicated mm. Um, is it good enough to do it in any game. I mean, for in shooting games, I have to imagine something like that would just be like useful for like data mining. I mean, I think MOBAs are really hard because it's, there's so many moving parts. Um, mm-hmm. But in like a game like Overwatch or a game like uh, you know, Overwatch is kind of like a process game where like this happens, then because of that this happens, and because of that this happens. You know, it's very like if then then that then that then that. Where like Dota is kind of more fluid and a lot more things can happen. So I think it's a little less common. So to answer your question, when patches come out players just sit there for hours and they freaking stare at the changes just like, like everyone else 10 hour long. literally yeah you've seen those 10 hour long <laughs> yeah. videos every pro player does that just sitting wild. on their computer and just like thinking and then they go into that honestly what normally happens is like oh that's a wild change open up custom match pull up the hero yeah. test it out and then like okay noted and there are some people who are really really good at looking at new patches and then just breaking them like i think most people think that like the reason og is so good is because they're the ones that understand the patches best by far. Mm. They're not, you know, they're not the best individual players, but mm. they understand the patch and like understand how to take advantage of the patch the best. And I think this TI has been a, last TI was a good example, and I think this one is shaping up to be a good example. Like mm. they rolled this morning; it wasn't even close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah, this is something that really interests me about Dota, and you brought up the example of Overwatch. Um, but one of the problems with the people who have tried to do that with Overwatch is that nobody has access to data in Overwatch. Mm-hmm. Um, like behind the scenes, I can tell you that like Blizzard basically gives like a unstructured data dump to every Overwatch <laughs> League team mm-hmm. um, that then there's like figure it out for yourself. And the teams that have gone in and like funded like computer vision startups to try to get that data and actually make it useful got cease and desisted by Blizzard and basically no longer exist. So on the one hand, Dota like has a different strategy. You can access it through the API. You can get extraordinary yeah. amounts of sort of one more kind of openness. But it also seems like the usefulness of that is sometimes totally overstated. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, there is stuff you can learn from it. And I think like as patches develop, you can learn a lot from just like 
even just public match data, which, mm -hmm. you know, we're fortunate enough to have like Dota buff for public matches and um, the name of that Dota for like that competitive Dota. matches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, Dota buff has a for esports section. So I think there is like useful data there. And I think, you know, players don't really use that data that much, but coaches do use that data. I think mm -hmm. the big data point that actually gets used in Dota is where wards are placed. Mm -hmm. Warding is like, there is a shitload of data used by teams in warding because like most teams use the same warding spots every game. Mm -hmm. So, so like if you know maps. where they use them, yeah. you can just get them sometimes. Mm -hmm. huh. You're playing Dota in a very different way at this point, right? Like you're I don't play Dota at all. But here's the thing, you're like you're playing the, the game of managing oh, yeah, yeah. Dota team. I'm playing I'm playing like Dota Manager again. <laughs> yeah, right. Dota you Manager know the 2019. Meta. Yeah. Not the meta. But, but then Dota Manager impacts how pros play and how pros play impacts pubs. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah, like one ecosystem, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I have like one last question. Mm -hmm. Um so one of the things I've learned from interviewing uh, team owners in a lot of different games is just that like a lot of the big esports organizations, especially the classic ones like Cloud9, they think people are fucking crazy for staying in Dota. They're just like, this place, it's anarchy. Mm -hmm. Like you, it's very hard to make like safe investments mm -hmm. and they just leave it alone. Mm -hmm. So one, it's clear that that risk can be mitigated if you have, like, if you're part of this sort of, mm -hmm. you, know, you get the off-market deals, you have a good representation and reputation. But um, is there anything else that, like, just keeps, like, chaos in Dota in this crazy place? I mean, part of it, honestly, is the game that all the staff people like. I mean, it's like <laughs> uh, people do their best work on things they care about. That's just kind of how it happens. And I think, you know, for me, also it's the roots of our brand. That's where we started. We got second place at TI six and you know, it's, it's something that I think we started with fans in and you know, now we have the same captain that we had then. So it's kind of a story thing for us too. It's part of the narrative of the brand. Mm -hmm. Um, to your point, I think that most people who exit Dota are ones that are not fully committed to the space, like either through how they've treated their players in the past or how they've been, you know, finding deals. Like, you can't source a team deal really through another person in Dota. It doesn't really work. Like deals happen too fast. You'll lose it basically. Um, and so I think to your point also, you have to have more risk tolerance because there is absolutely the chance, you know, where you put, I don't know what, I'm sure the average Dota team puts at least bare minimum $250,000 a year into a team. Absolute bare minimum. So, you know, sometimes, you know, VGJ Storm, Jeremy Lin's Dota team, did not qualify to TI. They had a team the entire year. Um, and they were good. And they were good. And then mm -hmm. they just, the NA was, it was a meat grinder. You know, Ford qualified and eventually became newbie. But um, it, it's just, it is higher risk. I think there are payoffs for it. You know, we have this, we have TI, which is one of the most interesting events just from like a eyeball point of view because it's always the largest one basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the community in Dota is much more diehard than the average game community. So you're working with fans who are much more committed to the game and potentially that means committed to your brand, right? Um, mm. So for me, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I, well, I'm maybe not obviously, but I'm not a founder, right? So I'm not the one like putting in my, my money for to do this project. So I have a lot more risk tolerance than most people. Um, but I think that our money is better spent in Dota in a lot of ways because I think when we gain fans in Dota, 
they're a lot stickier. They spend more money and they do a lot more on social media because they're very dedicated fans most of the time. So that would be my response to, I think, you know, there is risk, but when you do it right, the upside is huge. You know, OG is a Dota brand that has a Dota team and that's it. And they have half a million followers on Twitter, you know? So that's much better than most, you know, a lot of teams that have games and all sorts of stuff. So there's a huge payoff if you do it right, I think, is the other other thing I would point to. Um, So if you're willing to deal with the risk and sort of navigate your way intelligently and be quick and agile, um, I think the payoff is more than worth it. But it's scary as shit for sure. You know, like we almost didn't qualify to TI, which it wouldn't sink our program or anything, but like it would be bad for sure. You know, Mm -hmm. from a year just looking at this whole year, if you don't qualify to TI, it's like that's, you know, one of the three goals of the year really, so. I just realized I had one question and the answer might just be no, not at all. Um, does all that stuff with like cosmetic items and gun skins and Counter-Strike and virtual currencies and weird forms of money and, and that are put into like the whole Valve ecosystem, does that affect your end at all? Or are you sort of, is that in another kind of, is that another what conversation? Like financial end or how yeah, we operate? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Financially, yeah. I mean, it obviously it changes the prize pool of TI, which mm-hmm. potentially nets us more money. You know, we do take prize share from the players. It's, uh, it changes a lot from game to game and sort of salary to salary and, you know, more salary usually is less prize pool. Um, but I guess, you know, in Counter-Strike, for instance, like players get directly paid by that money. So mm-hmm. the signatures in Counter-Strike, the, there are like individual player signatures that you can buy. Orgs are not allowed to touch that money. Like Valve will not let you touch that money. There are also team stickers that you use to fill out your fantasy bracket. Valve does let you have a portion of that money. Mm-hmm. But a lot of teams do share, do still share a big portion of that money with the players. But that's, you know, that's significant revenue. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars every time. This is like the penance in Dota, which didn't quite take off like the yeah, Counter-Strike, yeah, but not. those went straight to the players, too. Uh, is that true? I actually don't remember. I feel like I think those were orgs. Oh, those I were teams. Were, you're, you're, I think you're right. There. Yeah, I think those, but there were, that was never like, a huge... autographs for players and everything. Yeah, there used to be autographs for players. Those were not paid. Those were like TI. Like, they just gave them to them for TI. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... In Dota, as a team owner, the skin stuff has never been that interesting. Um, Players used to kind of be able to get skins in the game, but the whole thing that sucks about Valve is there was never a process for this, right? There was never like a, here's how you do it. It was just like, submit your item to the store, hope a lot of people vote for it, maybe it'll get in, maybe it won't, maybe they'll take it for a battle pass. Maybe It was just, you know, it changed all the time. I think the big thing that mattered for in-game skins in Dota was tournament organizers used to be able to do in-game skins. And that was a huge revenue source for tournament organizers. Mm. And slowly Valve has basically just like stripped away a lot of the ways for other people to monetize and just sort of shoved them into TI, which is part of the other reason why TI is still the biggest event every year. Because the other money from Dota is going into TI. What about the betting world? Betting is huge in Dota. And is that betting with like fiat money or like all sorts of stuff gun skins and, and yeah, like, both yeah um real money betting is becoming very very common in esports as we sort of like develop the scene here and as especially i think as you know internet betting becomes legal in the u.s it will become mm-hmm. very common um in dota it's dota is really one of the only games where betting sponsors are still completely allowed in teams they're not allowed in tournament organizers at all um, but we have a betting sponsor for TI mm-hmm. and to be honest, it's one of the only, it's really one of the only high spending sponsor categories in Dota. Um, Wild. most of them 
are not even close to what the betting companies offer. And the other thing is that most of the betting companies can't operate in other game titles. So they're interested in Valve games because they can. Who, who actually determines like how much you, the players, everybody receives, either as payment or prize money? So prize winnings is like players win money. We have a preset percentage in their contract that we take of their money. Yep. Sponsorships are way more fluid and completely dependent on organizations. For us, we do not do, I don't know of any teams that do revenue share from sort of like org deals to players. That's just like not a thing because that's what you're paying salary for basically. Right. Um, but a lot of teams are now sort of wising up to the fact that you can't just like have exclusive rights over your player sales because some players are getting the point where they have more value than you can bring them. Like RTZ from EG, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. probably has more value than, well, hopefully Phil doesn't listen to this, but RTZ, you know, probably has, just as an example, ha- probably has more value than, you know, they can easily bring him just because they don't have the staff built out to like bring him a Nike deal or whatever. Or the other thing is that a lot of orgs are not willing to entertain those deals. They're like, no, you need to sponsor the whole team. For me, I do not take that approach. I think it is inevitable that players will get individual sponsorships. Um, so we are basically working to start, you know, to basically set up an independent sponsorship agency that, you know, f- operates in our parent group that can take care of our tournament organizer, our team and stuff like that. But the breakdown of the prize pool at the international from like the 14 million to the 80 K that's a valve decision that's or do the teams decision. have any no, that, conversation or, or <laughs> that's a valve decision. And I would, I would argue that. It is narratively narrative driven. The reason yes. that first is prize is heavier this year is so it's higher than Fortnite. So every player makes more than three million. Yeah, yeah. there's no there is yeah. no one in the entire world that can convince me that is not the case. <laughs> That's the that sounds right too. Yeah. So. <laughs> the esports arms race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of it is absolutely. Yeah. Just, just there's a, no way it's not. It's like oh, I just gotta get us uh, you know a hair breath in front of them. Just so. so that the audience knows, Will just did a big wanking motion. Oh yes, that's esports. <laughs> but, 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 but wait, 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 I have one last one. Like, do you think speculatively, like if that money were spread a little bit more, it should be in spread. five years, wouldn't that accrue more value for my the big, sport? My big problem in Dota is that prize that prize pool of TI, as great as it is and as much press as it brings, is too high. It damages the scene. Like yeah. if that money if they just cap TI at like twenty million and spread the other whatever million, fourteen million over the whole year, the scene would be infinitely more healthy. Contracts would be way more enforceable. Teams would have to be way more structured. Um, but to be honest, Valve's not set up to manage that. They don't want to manage that. So they just let all the teams organize everything individually and tournaments organize individually. What's stopping the narrative from including like a qualifier prize in the TI prize? Like, why wouldn't they could no. just publish it as 33 million if it included the qualifiers as part of TI? Is that it? Basically, just comes down to there's no one there to set it up. There's no yeah. community manager. Like, I mean, there are people that like around TI kind of like pseudo act as those people, but mm-hmm. like there's no one day in, day out who's just planning the health of the competitive ecosystem of Dota. All we is, need to I do think is it's a huge problem. Gabe in at Valve. Yeah, oh, that's you're right. right. Yeah. <laughs> he does it. I, my very, so my funny story actually is my, my first TI was TI2. Mm-hmm. I went as press um, for like my own website that I made. I literally emailed icefrog at gmail.com and said, hey, this is me. Here's my videos. I want to come to TI's press. Is that cool? And he literally replied to me, yep, here's Romy, he'll get you a press. <laughs> like, it, and that was the beauty of Dota. Like, himself. It was grassroots, like... Public email address? Like, do we need to uh, that? I mean, it was on, like, all the Dota passion nice. and everything. Yeah. So yeah, it's very public. I mean, 
Um, so yeah, I, I mean, they are they are weirdly open to, res- to being you know receptive about changes and stuff, but not like openly. So, but they're receptive to changes in the same way that TI is like the point one percent of players. They're receptive yeah. to like point one percent of you know, yeah. of of these types of connections. Yeah. Well, we've been we've been going for like an yeah, hour. hour and a half. Will you, you want to so talk much. us out? Yeah, yeah we should uh, thank Greg for coming by. Uh, this was like hugely educational. Yeah, yeah, really, Thanks really so useful. Yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate. And there's so much to learn about Dota because it just it never ends. It has yeah. so many layers as you build up like a big parent company shell game. So many <laughs> different types of yes, messes. Yes, force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Dota is such a mess. Yeah, it's <laughs> a fun, big mess. Yeah. All right, Greg, thank you so much for coming on. This was an amazing pleasure, um, and I can't wait for everybody at home to listen to this. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Every Game in the City is a podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. We recorded season two in a hot living room in Huangpu during the summer of 2019. Our theme music is a cover of Dota by Bass Hunter, a Euro dance track he released in 2006 featuring samples from the original mod. You can find us on the web at everygameinthis.city, as well as most social media networks and podcasting platforms. When we come back in two weeks, Stephanie will welcome our final cast member, Felania Liu, chat about the history of Chinese gaming, and ask the team about their unexpected adventures behind the scenes at the International. Meanwhile, I go solo and lock myself in the stadium for an entire 14-hour day of Dota 2.